Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are coming to the end of our series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And what I thought I would do this morning is to give you an overview of Paul's flow of thought, which he's developed through this letter up to this point, so that then we can understand why he concludes the letter the way that he does. We'll be going to conclusion this Friday, and then next Friday we'll be wrapping it up. So in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul introduces himself as the author of the letter. And then in chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through to the end of chapter 3, Paul's main point is that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing as believers in Jesus Christ. And what that means is we can be filled with Jesus' love so powerfully that we shine with Jesus' glory to our city here in Abu Dhabi, Ephesus, for those who are first reading this letter, so we can shine with the glory of Jesus in our cities and beyond. So that's the the middle section of this book. And then, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul gives them and us specific ways we can display Jesus' glory. Chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 2, we can display Jesus' glory by building up the church, loving each other, forgiving each other being patient with each other. As we do that here in Abu Dhabi, Jesus' glory will be shining into Abu Dhabi. Then in chapter 5, verse 3 through 21, by not sinning and instead shining the light of Jesus to lost people around us in our neighborhoods and our workplaces, that'll display Jesus' glory here in Abu Dhabi. Then in chapter 5, verse 22 through 33, we display Jesus' glory by husbands, sacrificially, loving, leading our wives, and by wives respectfully following the lead of your husbands. That'll display Jesus' glory. Chapter 6, 1 through 4, by children, young people, obeying your parents. That displays Christ's glory. And by parents lovingly training their children. That'll display Jesus' glory. And then we saw last week, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, by bondservants, obeying their masters for Jesus' sake, because he's worth it all, and by masters doing good for their bondservants, because masters, you have a master in heaven as well, Jesus Christ. And then that brings us to chapter 6, verse 10. And notice the first word in verse 10. It's the word finally, which shows that Paul is now drawing this letter to a conclusion. So how does Paul conclude this letter? Let's read verses 10 through 17. This is the first part of his conclusion. Look at what he says. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Powerful passage. Now, Paul wants us to understand that every one of us, every follower of Jesus, we're involved in a fierce spiritual battle. You may not have realized this, or maybe you are very aware of this, but we are all involved in a fierce spiritual battle. And Paul starts right off in verse 10 telling us what we must do to win in this battle. So what does Paul call us to do? Look again at verse 10. He says, finally, be strong, now get this, in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. So Paul doesn't just say, be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord. And he doesn't just say, be strong in your strength. He says, be strong in the strength of his might. And he doesn't say, put on your own armor. He says, put on the armor of God. So Paul wants us to understand, we in ourselves do not have the strength. We do not have an armor sufficient to fight this battle and win this battle. We don't. We need the Lord's strength and the Lord's armor which He gives to us. But the problem is, what I find in my own heart and what I'm sure you've seen in yours, is that so often we try to fight this battle in our own strength and with our own armor. Let me give you some examples. Maybe this next week you hear about a friend who, who gets a promotion and you start to feel jealousy rising up in, in your heart. And so you say to yourself, don't be jealous, stop being jealous, it's wrong to be jealous. Now, if that's all you do, you are relying on your strength, you're trying to put on your armor, and it won't be enough. Another example, maybe there's a long line at Lulu's, and you're in, 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 in a hurry, and there's one very slow checker, you know, that situation. And you find yourself starting to feel impatient. If all you do is just say, it's sin to be impatient. I must stop feeling impatient. If that's all you do, you are relying on your own strength, trying to put on your own armor, and it's not going to be enough. One more example, just to make sure we get this. Maybe you see, like you're at the mall, and you see a good-looking woman or man walking along who's not your spouse, and you're married, okay? And you start to think, what would it be like to be in a relationship with that person? Now, you know that's wrong. So what if you just try really hard to think about something else? Think about something else. I'm going to think about something else. If that's all you do, you're relying on your own strength. You're putting on your own armor, and that's not going to be enough. Do we see Paul's point? That's why he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Now, why? Why isn't our own strength enough? Why do we need God's strength and God's armor? Paul tells us, second half of verse 11 and all of verse 12. Let's start with verse 11. 
Look at what he says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The reason we need to be strong in the Lord is because we are battling the devil who has schemes against us. This is so important for us to understand. There, there's a real devil. He's far more powerful than we are in ourselves. But God is infinitely more powerful than the devil. Let's be clear on that. He's more powerful than we are in ourselves, but God is infinitely more powerful than the devil is. But he is more powerful than we are in ourselves. And the devil has schemes against you. Do you realize that? The devil has plans for this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, this coming week, plans by which he is hoping to turn your heart away from Jesus Christ. There's schemes in his mind about how he's going to turn you away from Jesus Christ this coming week. Maybe he's scheming to, like this afternoon, to all of a sudden remind you of some sin you committed eight years ago, and you're just overwhelmed with guilt so that you think, how could I possibly be forgiven by God? Look at what I did. I'm remembering it now. And so in despair, you just walk away from Jesus Christ. That may be one of Satan's schemes against you this afternoon. Maybe he has a scheme, maybe this what happened like on Wednesday this week, he, he has a scheme to, to bring you a big promotion this week with a huge raise this week because his scheme is to have you start to love money and to get so distracted by your, your career that you you're, you're fall in love with the world and walk away from Jesus Christ that way. That may be the scheme he has. Or maybe it's a scheme on Thursday of having you lose your job. He doesn't mind. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes. Maybe by losing your job, you'll become angry at God and turn your back on Jesus and say, if this is the way he's going to treat me, I'm not interested in him, and you'll walk away that way. The point I want to make is that Satan has schemes against you this afternoon, right now, this next week, by which he hopes to turn your heart away from Jesus Christ. And we cannot resist those schemes in our own strength with our own armor. Why not? The answer is in verse 12. Paul says, For, here's the reason why, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Pause there. And the word wrestle is a very important word to understand. It's a word describing hand-to-hand combat, like two wrestlers grappling back and forth, or like gladiators fighting. I mean, picture two men wrestling, headlocks, swords, clanging, sweating, fighting to the death. That's the picture that we should have when we read this word, wrestle. And Paul says that our wrestling, this grappling hand-to-hand combat, is not against flesh and blood. And I think that what he means by that is it's not just against our human thoughts or our human weaknesses or our human habits. That's not, if we were fighting that, our strength, our own strength might be able to do it, but we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. What are we wrestling against? Verse 12, rest of verse 12, and Paul goes into a long list here because Paul wants us to tremble at what we are wrestling against, so that we will be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Look at verse 11, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul's talking about here is powerful, supernatural, demonic beings that are more powerful than we are in ourselves, not more powerful than God is. He's infinitely more powerful than them. Jesus has broken their power, but they're more powerful than we in ourselves are, and they are seeking to destroy our faith. That's what our wrestling is against. So we're not just wrestling our own thoughts, our own weaknesses, our own personality difficulties, our own bad habits. We're wrestling against demonic spiritual powers much stronger than we are. So the picture that I get, and I want you to have this, is that every day we're like in in a gladiator ring, and in front of us there's this horde of powerful, supernatural, demonic beings who are intent on destroying our faith. Their plan is to destroy us spiritually. Now, let me just take a little pause at this point and, and raise a question that some of you might have, and if you don't, you should, okay? Here's a question, and that is, does that mean that somebody can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, born again, forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Can somebody be saved at one point and then end up not saved later on? And I believe the answer to that is no. It is not possible. Here's why. It's because when God saves you, one of the things he does is he changes your heart so that you pay heed to scriptures like this. And because you pay heed to scriptures like this, you'll be trembling at this point saying, I need to be strong in the Lord. I need to be strong in the strength of his might. No more relying on my own abilities. I need to put on his armor. God has changed your heart, so you are paying heed to this passage. And because you're paying heed to this passage, none of these demonic attacks will harm you because you're being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So, no, you cannot be saved at one point and then not be saved later. But that doesn't mean you can ignore this passage. Oh, good. I don't need to worry about it then because once saved, always saved. No, The reason you know you are once saved and always saved is because he changes our hearts so we pay heed to passages like this and we are strong in the Lord and we put on the armor of God. You understand that? So can someone be saved at one moment and then not be saved later on? The answer is no. And the reason why is because God's changed our hearts so we pay heed to passages like this. So church, let's pay heed to this passage. Every day and throughout the day, we're in a gladiator ring. You are facing demonic powers stronger than you whose plan is to destroy your faith. But Jesus Christ has broken their power. He is infinitely stronger than they are. And he has given us weapons which, if we will use them, will thwart their every attack, destroy their every temptation, conquer every way they're trying to deceive, mislead, draw you away. So how do we be strong in the Lord? That's where the armors describe verses 13 through 17. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So if you take up the whole armor of God, what will be true? You will withstand. 
in the evil day. You will stand firm. We must take up the whole armor of God. Here's what it is. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so there you are in the gladiator ring this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning, Sunday, there you are, facing these demonic supernatural beings more powerful than you are, and Jesus Christ says, hold everything here. Put this armor on. He hands us the armor that we need, which will enable us to resist every attack. And there are six pieces of armor here. So what are they? What do we do with them? First, we must fasten on the belt of truth. That's verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the truth of God's word. So how do we fasten on the belt of truth? By studying God's word, reading God's word, memorizing God's word, thinking about God's word. It's like a belt of truth, just like a, a soldier would have had a belt, and the belt kind of holds it all together. There's a breastplate in, pl in place, there's the sword in place, the, 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 the belt holds all, just kind of everything holds together. That's what the scriptures do for us. So when we know the scriptures, learn the scriptures, read the scriptures, we will be able to tell when we're being deceived, when we're being tempted. We'll be able to be reminded of God's faithful. Here's the armor. Here's his power. Don't need to worry. Just trust in him. Put the armor on. The word will show you that God's pleasures are infinitely better than the puny inferior pleasures of sin. God's word will change our hearts so we desire God more than sin. God's word is like the belt which, which holds everything together. Okay, so... So here's the picture. You're in the gladiator ring. You're facing these demonic beings more powerful than we are. Their goal is to destroy our faith. But if you're wearing the belt of faith, you can resist all their attacks. But what if you don't walk into the gladiator ring with the belt of faith? It won't be pretty. And this is why I would encourage you to start your day opening up the scriptures, reading the scriptures, pondering the truth of who God is, and then go through the day with scriptures in your mind, meditating on God's word day and night. Because as you do that, the belt of truth will be on, it'll be strong, you'll be girded, you'll be ready, and you'll be able to withstand the attacks that come. So start the day, Grace Church, in the word of God. Get up 15 minutes earlier, 30 minutes earlier, read, fill your soul, feed your soul, put on the belt. That's the first one. Second piece of armor. The breastplate of righteousness. That's at the end of verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is the breastplate of righteousness? Okay, some commentators say that the breastplate of righteousness is, is your own righteousness, your own holiness, your own obedience to the Lord, your own godliness. And it is important for you to be righteous and holy and godly and obedient. Very important. 
but I don't think that's what the breastplate of righteousness is. One of the reasons is because it just doesn't seem to work with what Paul's saying here. The, these pieces of, of armor are to help us be righteous, help us resist Satan's temptations, help us not to sin. They're to help us be righteous. So if Paul says the way that you be righteous is by putting on being righteous, that doesn't answer the question, how do I be righteous? Does that make sense? In other words, this is how we're to be righteous, and Paul wouldn't say, well, the way to be righteous is by being righteous. It doesn't work. So I think the breastplate of righteousness is not our own righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is Jesus Christ's righteousness. The amazing truth of the gospel is that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure, at that moment, two amazing exchanges take place. All the guilt of your sin, past sin, present sin, future sin, all the guilt of your sin is put upon Jesus 2,000 years ago, and Jesus was punished for your sin on the cross because of his love for you. And Jesus' perfect righteousness, he was the only human being, he's the God-man, fully God and fully man, he's the only man who's ever lived sinlessly, his perfect righteousness is given to you to cover you. That happens when you put your trust in Jesus, all your guilt punished in him, his perfect righteousness covering you, and so now by faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works, by trusting Christ alone, you're completely covered with Jesus' perfect righteousness, and when the Father sees you, he sees perfect righteousness, and he delights in you. He loves you. Is there still remaining sin in you? Yes, we hate it, but yes, it is. Are you weak in faith sometimes? Yes, we are weak in faith sometimes, but he sees you as perfectly righteous in Christ. That's the, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, why is this so important? You're in the gladiator ring. You're facing these demons that are more powerful than you. And one of the attacks they will use is to launch accusations against you. Like, look at what you did eight years ago. Look at that. Can you believe that you would do that? No way in the world God can love you if you did that. And how do we fight that? The only way is to have the breastplate of righteousness on. The breastplate of Jesus Christ's righteousness, which is ours by faith alone in Christ alone. Because when you're clothed with that breastplate of righteousness, you know that, yes, I sinned eight years ago grievously, and I've sinned seven years ago, and six years ago, and five, four, three, two, one now, and I, until heaven, I'm, I'm going to have sin in me. But because of Jesus' death and perfect righteousness, I'm clothed with his righteousness, and I'm completely forgiven, completely accepted by God, through Jesus Christ alone, he loves me, he's forgiven me, he cares for me. And when you're wearing the breastplate of righteousness, that spear of an accusation will just, bing, bounce right off of you. But what if you go into the ring without the breastplate of Christ's righteousness? What if you don't take time in the morning thanking the Lord by faith alone? I'm clothed in your righteousness. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. Thank you. What if you don't do that at the beginning of the day? What if you rush into your day, no breastplate, facing the demons, the spear comes? It won't be pretty. Put on the breastplate, wear the breastplate, walk in the breastplate of righteousness. That's the second piece of armor. Third, 
We must put on shoes of the gospel of peace. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, this one's a little bit difficult to understand. What are these shoes? Some commentators, some scholars, think that this means being ready to share the gospel with people. And Grace Church, let me encourage you, be ready to share the gospel with people. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. I think what Paul's talking about here is that these shoes involve being ready for anything that comes your way because you're trusting the gospel of peace. You're ready for anything that would come across your path because you're trusting the gospel of peace. That in other words, because of Jesus' death on the cross, you know, you're, you're trusting Jesus, you know that God who's sovereign over everything has promised that he will orchestrate every event in your future, every event this afternoon, this next year, these next decades, because of Jesus paying for your sins, God's promised he will orchestrate every event in your future to most greatly display his glory, which will give us our greatest joy. So no matter what happens, getting a job, losing a job, being promoted, not being promoted, staying healthy, getting sick, we know that God's in sovereign control of everything and that no matter what happens, God's ordained it to most greatly display his glory, which will bring us the greatest joy. So we can look ahead to the future and just smile. No fear, no worry, no anxiety, just peace. I think that's what it means. It means these shoes are being ready for anything because you're trusting the gospel of peace. It's like you have these, these gospel of peace shoes on, so you can, no matter what the circumstances are, you can just keep walking on the road towards heaven. Nothing's going to set you back. Nothing's going to derail you. You just keep walking along the path. Now, do you remember a few months back when we first heard that churches in Dubai were no longer being allowed to meet in hotels, but were having to meet in the church compounds, which was a huge hardship, and they're still adjusting, and we still want to keep praying for them. But when I first heard that, I have to admit, my heart just sank with fear and worry, thinking, what, what if that happened here in Abu Dhabi? What if that took place with us? What would happen to Grace Church? What would happen to you? I mean, where would we meet? How would this work? Church compounds are all full. What would take place? And see, that was a scheme of the devil. I was in the gladiator ring facing demonic powers stronger than me and myself. And they were launching attacks of fear and worry and anxiety about what if that happened in Abu Dhabi? Okay, but, but God gave me grace. I needed to, needed to tighten those shoes of peace a little bit more. I was, I was getting a little too worried. So he gave me grace to just think, okay, because of Jesus dying on the cross for me by faith alone, I'm forgiven and God has promised that he will ordain every event in the future to bring him the greatest glory and us the greatest joy as Grace Church. And it took some wrestling, took some wrestling, you know, some, okay, it, it doesn't happen instantly, but praying over that truth, reflecting on that truth, asking him to strengthen my faith in that truth, the anxiety diminished and the peace came and I just, I just knew no matter what happens with Grace Church, he's going to be glorified in our future. We're going to be blessed by glorifying him in our future. So even if we couldn't even meet anymore, he'd be glorified through that. We'd be rejoicing in his glory through that. And I was filled with peace because I was tied, 
tight, a little tighter, those shoes which made me ready for anything because I was trusting the gospel of peace. And now imagine if I was in that gladiator ring and instead of having those shoes of peace, what if I was just there in my flip-flops or bare feet? Whole different story. Start the day getting those shoes of trusting the gospel of peace on. Trust that God's sovereign over everything that happens today. I can be at peace. No worry, anxiety, fear attack will hit me because I've got those shoes on. Fourth, the shield of faith. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The bad news of this verse is that Satan is constantly launching flaming darts against you. That's the bad news, right? Did you realize that? There may be some coming at you right now. You, you, may, you may be seeing them, feeling them. Satan is launching flaming darts against us. That's the bad news. The good news is that God has given us the shield of faith which can extinguish how many of those flaming darts? All of those flaming darts. What an amazing shield. Every flaming dart Satan will ever launch against you will be extinguished when we lift up the shield of faith. What an amazing weapon. Do you see the love of God for us? Do you see the mercy of Jesus? What an awesome weapon, the shield of faith. Now, how do we take up the shield of faith? Faith is always focused on a promise in God's word. Spurgeon said, faith without a promise is like feet without soil to walk on. Okay, there's nothing there. Faith's got to focus on a promise, an explicit promise in God's Word. Not just gener vague generalities or cliches, but word-for-word -word promises from the very Word of God. The way to lift up the shield of faith is by having in our minds a promise from God's Word that deals with the specific flaming dart that's coming our way. That's what we do. So to help with this, I put together something called a promise for every problem battle guide. There are these yellow ones. I've got a, I'll have a couple lectures up here. There's some at the welcome table. But what we did here is we listed some of the flaming darts that Satan shoots against us and then promises that we have found helpful to wield the shield of faith with to extinguish those flaming darts. Okay, so just imagine you, me, someone being in this gladiator ring. We're facing these demonic powers stronger than we are in ourselves. And, and What's being launched against us is flaming darts of worry, maybe about your children's future or about your health or maybe it's about your finances or your job or something like that. You know, these flaming darts that can come. Now, what do you do in that situation? Well, don't just, I'm not supposed to worry, stop worrying, I, I, Christians shouldn't worry. See, the shield of faith is nowhere to be found if you're doing that. The flaming darts are coming. The only way to extinguish them is with the shield of faith. You're not lifting up the shield of faith. The outcome is not going to be good. You want to lift up the shield of faith. So take a promise like Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. I would encourage you to memorize this promise. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Oh, that's powerful. So you, you quote this promise to yourself. By the way, that's why it's so helpful to memorize promises. I've got a stack of three by five cards. Promises. Memorize them. Learn them. Quote them. Pray them. Think about them. Preach them to yourself. And again, it's, it's wrestling, okay? It's not like instantly the anxiety lifts, instantly the flaming darts extinguished. There's wrestling that takes place. You know this, right? You're battling, you're wrestling, you're on your knees. Father, strengthen my faith. Help me to see that you are here. Help me to trust your promise so worry will be gone. But as you battle, as you pray, as you preach this promise to yourself, the flaming dart will be extinguished every single time. The shield of faith has a 100% track record. Never has a shield of faith been lifted and a flaming dart not been extinguished. Every single time. The only time flaming darts get through is when we forget about the shield of faith, we leave it at home, we're just relying on our own armor. That's when the flaming darts get through. But every single time you lift up the shield of faith and wrestle by preaching the promises to yourself, the flaming darts are extinguished every time. Fifth, helmet of salvation, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul expands on this phrase, and he calls it the helmet of the hope of salvation. I find that very helpful. I think that's exactly what Paul means here as well. The helmet of salvation means filling your heart with the hope of heaven. When was the last time you just were, you were filled with, oh, heaven, being with Jesus Christ? Lord Jesus, to be with you, I'm longing for that. I'm waiting for that. I'm hoping in that. You're my joy. You're my reward. You're my prize. When was the last time your heart was filled with hope in being in Jesus' presence forever in heaven? If it's been a long time, you've been walking in the battle without the helmet. You need to get the helmet on, Grace Church. Get the helmet on. So how, how do you get the helmet on? Well, you, you spend time studying what the Bible says about heaven. You memorize some scriptures about what it's going to be like to be with Jesus Christ forever and all of God's people in heaven. You, you learn about what, what heaven involves. That's how. And the reason this is so important is because when our hearts are filled with the hope of heaven... Sin's temptations lose their power every time. Here, here's how William Gurnall put it. He's one of my favorite authors. Uh, he, he's a, he was a pastor in England in the 1600s. And listen to what he said. He said, it's impossible to sin with or while having lively thoughts and hopes of the glory of heaven. It's psychologically impossible to be filled with the hope of being with Jesus Christ forever in heaven and at the same time be tempted to sin. Can't happen. Helmet of salvation. He goes on, it's when the thoughts of heaven are long out of the Christian's sight that he begins to set up some idol, right? You've, you've, you've forgotten about the hope of heaven. Your heart's empty. You're looking for something else to set. Maybe this will satisfy me. Maybe this will satisfy me. That's when you start to get tempted, right? Because you've lost the hope of heaven. But let heaven come in sight, and the Christian's heart will be well warmed with thoughts of it. And here's this last line. I love this. It is easier to persuade a king 
to throw his crown in the gutter than to persuade a heaven-focused saint to sin. When your heart is full of the joys of what it'll be like to be with Jesus Christ, you will never turn towards the inferior, puny pleasures of sin. It's like you've got a braai in front of you with sizzling, what do you call that South African sausage? I forget what it is. Okay, if, if that's in front of you and you're waiting five minutes, it's going to be done, you're not going to eat some little upside-down moldy peanut butter sandwich lying on the ground because you're anticipating the superior joys of the... I forget what it's called. Anyway, that, that South African sausage. When our hearts are filled with the superior joys of what it's going to be like being with Jesus in heaven we will not able, be able to be tempted with the inferior pleasures of sin. So why do we get tempted then? The helmet's not on. That's why. Can you imagine knowing that you're walking into the gladiator ring any moment? Oh, I left my helmet at home. It's okay, not a problem. I'm going to go ahead. It won't be a difficulty. With arrows flying at you and spears flying at you and swords clashing, you're not going to wear your helmet? Church, put on the helmet. Wake up first thing in the morning, put on the helmet, pray over the hope of heaven. Lord, fill me with the joy of what it's going to mean to behold you, to be with you face to face. Fill me, give me a taste of that now. He will, and the, the helmet will be on, and you'll move into battle. Sixth, sword of the Spirit, end of verse 17. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and here Paul tells us exactly what that is which is the Word of God. Now, this is our one offensive weapon. And so the point of that is, when you see a temptation coming toward you, when you see some demonic power bringing a temptation of pride or, or lust or envy against you, okay, don't just say, I'm not supposed to do that, I shouldn't do that, Steve, don't sin, Christians don't sin, that's all your own armor, that will do nothing. Pull out the sword. Sword, remember Lord of the Rings? It glows blue when there's orc demons around, right? Lord of the Rings? Anyway, okay. All right. Why fight the temptations leaving the sword in the scabbard? Pull out the sword, which means you have verses in your mind that you can quote to yourself. That's what that means. That's how you pull the sword out. Church, one clear implication of these six items of spiritual weaponry is that we need to know God's Word and be growing in God's Word. Some of you need to hear that loud and clear this morning. Re-engage with studying God's Word. Make that a priority. It is absolutely vital that you be learning, memorizing, growing in, understanding God's Word. Can't overstress that. Pull it out of the scabbard. Go to war. So let's say, for example, that you are being attacked, a demon's throwing a fiery dart or a spear of love of money against you. So what do you do? You don't just say, okay, Christians shouldn't do that. That's bad. Stop that. Not, not good. Again, that's just all your own strength and your own armor. Where's the sword? The sword's still in the scabbard. If you pull that sword out, you would slay that thing. So pull, pull a verse out like Hebrews 13, verse 5. I love the scripture. Let your way of life be free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. 
Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's so powerful. Jesus Christ will never leave me. I will always have my Jesus with me. He will always be with me. And when I have Jesus with me, who's my joy, who's my life, who's my delight, who's my hope, who's my prize, my heart's filled. And again, why settle for the puny pleasures of money when Jesus is always with me? I will never leave you or forsake you. Let your way of life be free from the love of money, being content with what you have, because he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You quote that scripture to yourself. You preach that scripture to yourself. Steve, you have Jesus with you. Think about who Jesus is, the Son of God who loved you, gave himself up for you. He is fully God from eternity past. He became a man. He was born of a virgin. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just re re recite to yourself who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus, I have you with me right now. And that will so fill your heart that the love of money will just shrivel up and disappear because you've pulled out the sword and you've opposed that temptation with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. How often do we try to conquer temptations without pulling out the sword? Gladiators are coming at you with swords and spears. Our swords are sitting in the scabbard and we're like, you know, like, I mean, pull out the sword! Fight with the sword! We've got the sword. Here's the sword. Learn the sword. Use the sword. Now, if, you don't, if you're facing a temptation and you can't think of a verse that helps, call up somebody from your home group. I'm, I'm being overwhelmed with worry right now. I'm, I'm, I'm full of pride about something. I'm battling lust. What scriptures would help? They will help you. So we're working together as a body. We're sharing the scriptures together. We do this in our home groups. But don't leave your sword in the scabbard. What a tragic thing for a soldier to be slain who never pulled out his sword. Pull out the sword. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Okay, so what does this mean for us? The bad news is, every day you're in the gladiator ring, facing demonic powers more, more powerful than we are. The good news is, Jesus Christ, in great love and mercy, by dying on the cross, has purchased for you all the weaponry you need to conquer every temptation you'll ever face. Everyone. So let me encourage you, start the day putting on the armor. Now, putting on the armor isn't just like saying the words, I put on the belt of truth, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. If all you're doing is setting, saying the words, nothing's happening. The way you put on the belt of truth is by opening up reading the scriptures. The way you put on the breastplate of righteousness is by praying, saying, I trust you, Jesus, that by your death on the cross and your perfect righteousness, by faith alone, I am completely righteous before God and loved and accepted as perfectly righteous because of what you've done for me by your sinless life and your sacrificial death. That's putting on the breastplate. So it's not just saying the words, it's doing the actions. Do you see that? So start the day putting on the belt of truth, reading God's word, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, reminding yourself that by faith alone you're covered with Jesus' perfect righteousness, putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace. In Christ, God has forgiven you, so he's going to orchestrate every event in your future to bring him the greatest glory and you're the greatest joy. Taking up the shield of faith, 
preaching God's promises to yourself, taking the helmet of salvation, being filled with the hope of heaven, and taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When you do that, and you carry that through the day with you, you will be able to withstand every flaming dart, every demonic attack, every temptation to sin, and you will emerge from that gladiator ring victorious. You'll get the victory, and Jesus will get the glory, and his name will be praised. So let's stand together. Father, I pray that you would give us a keen sense of the battle we are in every day. I pray for those here who have been coasting spiritually, who've been lukewarm, who've lost that sense of urgency. Help them see that one of Satan's flaming darts is lukewarmness, is coasting, and use this passage to light the fire again of passion for Christ. Help us all see the battle that we face every day and what's at stake in this battle. And then, Lord, help us to see how you, in your mercy through Christ, have given us everything we need to fight and win that battle. Help us to be faithful in the word. Help us not to rely on our own strength or might or armor. Help us to rely on you and your might and the armor of God. Lord, strengthen us with this, I pray. And I also want to pray, Lord, for anybody who's feeling particularly guilty now at how they haven't used the armor and because of that they've sinned. Lord, let them see that they need to understand the breastplate of righteousness right now. And that by trusting Christ right now, they can be completely forgiven for this morning's sin or yesterday's sin. They can be completely forgiven for that sin and clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, loved by you, forgiven by you, saved by you forever. Assure them and comfort them right now, I pray. Lord, help us as Grace Church to be vigilant for the battle, and we praise you that you will use this armor to hold us fast, to protect us, to strengthen us, so that none of Satan's attacks will destroy us. We praise you for that, and we worship you now.